anytime you have something that can be converted to, to glucose, you know, you're going to get a, a spike in blood sugar. And when we get a spike, we're going to get a corresponding crash. And when it crashes, now we're hungry and we're going to binge on something we're not supposed to, which will spike. And then we have this up and down. Now, hormonally, that it's not just insulin and blood sugar leading to type 2 diabetes, but there's other hormones like stress hormone, like cortisol. And we could start breaking down muscle tissue, and that's going to help us accumulate more fat in ways we don't want to. The Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome, Fire Within Nation. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we dive into all things nutrition, fitness, and health-related. I'm your host, Brandon Woolley, and today I'm switching roles from the interviewer to the guest seat. My show producer is the owner and operator of Relevant Media Solutions. He'll be putting me in the hot seat today, and his name is Joe Woolworth. Welcome, Joe. Yeah, thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to interview you, and uh, excited to talk to you about stuff. Also, just so you guys know as listeners, I recently started training with Brandon two weeks ago, so kind of like the old hair club commercials, I'm not only the president or the producer, I'm also a client. And so uh, you guys can check back in and see if I'm ripped in a couple months. Poor guy. So much pain. (laughs) We just got done working out, so this is going to be a good podcast. So one of the things I wanted to start out by talking to you about is just finding out a little bit more about what was going on in your life leading up to the decision to change your life. You had gotten very unhealthy and overweight, and then part of your story, your transformation story, and I love the idea of the the phoenix or the firebird, and now you've kept it off for a crazy amount of time. Just tell me a little bit about what was going on at the time of your life when you decided enough is enough. I got to make a change. Well, I've seen the health of my parents go downhill and I have a extensive history, especially on my dad's side of heart disease. And, uh, you know, in middle school, he'd had some heart attacks and surgeries. And then in college, he had some strokes and yeah. I didn't want this to be my future. You know, I'd gotten up to 244 pounds, saw pictures of myself on social media and and literally couldn't recognize myself. Couldn't believe that was me. Was it fast? Like, did you get overweight quickly or was it slow? Had you always been overweight? I mean, I grew up a chunky kid growing up, except for a stint where I got into, I did cross country in high school for a few years, literally just to keep weight off and it worked. But then I hit college and I was a music education major. I sat on my butt all day long practicing till two, three in the morning Uh, I probably put on close to 60 pounds in college. Yeah. And so what was the deciding factor other than just seeing pictures of yourself on social media? I mean, it was a culmination of that. Uh, When I drive, the seatbelt would cut into me, just pants not fitting. And then there was actually a six-month chunk of my life I have zero recollection of because I was in such a cycle of insomnia and poor sleep and Mm. low energy. It's just it's wiped from my memory. Wow. And that was a huge wake-up call. Right. And so you decided to, to get into it. So your approach, so it's fitness and nutrition. So how much of your time was devoted early on to just studying about stuff, or did you just dive in and be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some stuff done. I'm going to lose some weight. 
And what did you do? Yeah, initially I just dove in and it was running. I just ran with no plan. You're like, this will work. Yeah. I see skinny people running. Right? <laughs> no knowledge. And, you know, I joined a run team, you know, Fitness Unlimited in Washington, had a great run coach, Tara Carter, if you're listening. And I had the thought, and, you know, when I was going to start this journey, I used to run cross country. I know how to do that. I know a little bit about 5Ks. Yeah. So let me just do that because it's all I had background in. Mm-hmm. So uh, high school coach Jeff Dodrell, if you're there, <laughs> you know, it's, it's all his fault. And, but I didn't know anything about the science or nutrition or anything. I did everything yeah. wrong. Yes. I lost a ton of weight, but in the process ended up with knee surgery. I was in a hospital once with rhabdo, which is where basically you're breaking down protein and your kidneys shut down. <laughs> I mean, oh man, I was in and out of the ortho almost weekly. So you didn't just start running, like you went running. Yeah. I like went, you forced gumped that thing. You I just... did. And it started out, I promised myself as cliche as it was on New Year's. I know that's really cheesy. I said every single day, at least six days a week, I'm going to run at least three miles. And I did that no matter what. Yeah. Right? And that was before you were in shape, before you were. Yeah. Was... But you had some background in it. So you kind of knew what you were committing to. Right. What was getting in shape like at 244? I mean, it wasn't like high school, I bet. No. Well, it was kind of a two-pronged approach. I thought it was all all training. Now that I'm thinking about it, the first thing I did is I quit drinking soda when I'd eat at Wendy's and Taco Bell and Arby's. Okay. I'd still eat that crap, but I just quit getting fountain drinks and I lost 10 pounds. I was like, wow, that was cool. Yeah. I've done similar things and my wife will get very frustrated because sometimes it's really easy for guys to drop 10 pounds. And it's like, what'd you do? I, you know, I stopped drinking soda. (laughs) Yeah, but I tried to get involved in a gym and I had a good buddy, uh, you know, after I got into the running, I met him through a run club. Uh, he taught me how to strength train, kind of bro lift. Yeah. And I was terrible. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have any confidence. Is that a term bro lift? I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's, it's more of an attitude thing, yeah. not taking ourselves super seriously, just having fun making grunting noises, just literally just for attention. (laughs) Uh, But we had a really good time with it. Can't believe they didn't kick us out. But, you know, that kind of easy introduction, this fun, non-stressful way, for me, it was, it was, uh, it made it so that I was interested, especially not having the confidence and and I've never lived. I didn't grow up lifting or knowing much about exercise. I didn't lift my first dumbbell probably until I was in my twenties. Yeah. So it's really interesting to me. A couple of things. One, like it wasn't just like most people's New Year's resolutions because you were up to 244 and you've kept it off now for how many years? About eight years. This is 2011. Well, eight years. And not just kept it off, but you're healthy. Like you're, and now you're a trainer and you're helping other people get healthy. And back to the, like when it started, what was the introduction to the nutrition side of thing? When did you start to, was it the surgeries that made you think, well, crap, I'm fit, but I'm in pain and now I've, And so that made you think there's got to be a smarter way to do it. What was kind of the catalyst to getting into the nutrition side of it? Well, honestly, uh, I got a job at Lifetime Fitness and I no longer work there, but the way I endorsed them, you'd think I did. It was a wonderful company. Uh, I learned a tremendous a lot there. And while I was there, I wanted to, I was noticing that my clients, they would do everything I asked them to training wise, Yeah. but some of them still wouldn't get the results they wanted. Sure. And I realized the missing piece was the nutrition. And I went on to get my precision nutrition certification. And then it wasn't just teaching people to exercise or even just yeah. losing weight. People were reversing blood work and getting rid of chronic diseases. I went, holy crap, this is amazing. Yeah. And I just deep dove, researched everything I could, podcasts, books, medical journals, anything I get my hands on. Right. 
and started applying that to my clients in conjunction with the blood work program there. And just having access to that wealth of knowledge, doing my own research, I just created this passion. Yeah. There's so many different points of view or opinions on how to eat right right now, it feels like. And they're kind of like, most of them are quasi based on science. A lot of them feel like they have all the makeup of a fad diet. Like, yeah, that'll work if you stop eating something for a while and you'll lose some weight. Sure. But you kind of wonder, like, what are the long-term effects? And you got keto and you got paleo and you got all the documentaries that scare the crap out of you on Netflix and Hulu and all the different ways to eat and not eat and the things you should eat and shouldn't eat. And, like, it's like, put butter in your coffee. No, butter's terrible for you. Don't eat eggs. Eggs are great. (laughs) And it feels like from the outside, I haven't invested the amount of time that you have in learning about nutrition. It all feels very confusing and it feels like how in the world are we as consumers supposed to know who to trust when it comes to stuff, when it comes to nutrition? The tough part about it is, is every single human being walking on the planet has different needs. A big piece of it that they're doing more research on is microbiome health. You know, what kind of gut bacteria you have. Some of it could be genetic oriented, which we have a lot of control over what genetic genes actually express themselves. But, But that's what makes it tough. There's no one diet that everybody should be following. That's nonsense. It's like taking parts to a Volvo and sticking it into a Honda. It's not going to work right. Mm. They're different systems. Yeah. How do you help somebody? Like, I know, I kind of know the answer because I did your nutritional intake form with you. And so we sat down and we talked about what I normally eat. We talked about what medication I'm on, what my sleep patterns are, how many drinks a week I have, all that kind of stuff. And and you didn't start talking to me and giving me suggestions about what to eat and what to cut off until we did that side of it. Is that a big part of it? You know, I, I think history is a part of it. Some people get a feel for what works for them. You know, I'll talk to clients and they're like, in the past, well, I cut carbs out and I did really, really well. So maybe for them, a lower carb, higher fat, higher protein approach might be a good idea. Um, and then I'll have other clients, they get real dizzy and fatigued and nauseous when they cut carbs. And for them, it's probably a terrible idea, at least until some other things are changed hormonally. Yeah. So just getting a basis symptomatically as to what's going on with their hormones, their medical history, even trial and error. One of my favorite tools to use, especially once I've already started working with a client, is an elimination diet. Yeah where we can take everything away that's problematic and introduce things one at a time and see what they react yeah. the worst to. That's how I fix websites that are broken. <laughs> yeah, you delete all the plugins and then you start putting them back one by one and see what the culprit was. There you are. If you need your website <laughs> fixed, Joe's your guy. <laughs> but I like the approach that you've taken. So if you go to your, your website, you can get a free ebook that you've written and you're talking about some really popular misconceptions. Because I think there's some stuff that is relatively new in human history the way that we eat, that is normal to the point where like nobody would even second guess it, but nobody would realize that, you know, 20, 80 years ago, this type of eating didn't exist. And maybe we weren't meant to eat this kind of way. Um, (laughs) And so the first misconception that you bring up in your book, and I wanted to chat about it a little bit, is um, consuming vegetable oil. Yeah. So I grew up in the Midwest and I feel like that we just drank it with the meals that we had because that's what you should do. Like Crisco, is, is that vegetable oil? <laughs> I think so. Like it's like a hardened <laughs> lard version of it and it would come in like the government peanut butter size jar thing, you know? <laughs> it just seems like that's... It's just part of cooking. Yeah, what do you mean it, we shouldn't eat that? Yeah, and even more problematic is like <laughs> canola oil, soybean oils, especially any corn derivative you know, over 93% or maybe higher now yeah. of, of the world or the U.S. corn consumption is, is GMO. 
you know, glyphosate Roundup, all kinds of stuff. And uh, corn inherently, without us tampering with it, has a protein in it that causes basically glucose to spill out of cells and be stored as fat in the liver and as fat as adipose tissue in the body. Uh, so it's it's creating non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in like 14-year-olds. This used mm. to be something you didn't get till your 70s and 80s, if at all. Yeah. And I think it's a, a big component to some of the issues. So is that more of like, we probably just weren't meant to eat that much corn or what we're processing corn is causing the problem, the way we're processing it? combination of both. Because corn wasn't always a a staple. staple. Yeah. Right. And as far as anthropological studies can conclude, it really started with ancient Egypt, which in the, if all of human lifespan was a 24 hour day, that would be 23 hours, 59 minutes and 59 seconds into that time period. Now we've introduced wheat, grain and corn. And our bodies haven't developed the systems to take right. on. There's this, that lectin protein that's causing all this havoc. We can deal with some because all vegetables, mm-hmm. all plants have this protein. But wheat, grain, and corn have the largest quantities of them. They started eating them because they realized it helped them put on fat very quickly, yeah. which was awesome right before famine. So now we're storing fat for a famine that's never going to come. <laughs> that's true. The, uh, another component that I've, I've seen in multiple documentaries on the topic that is fascinating to think about is, like, why is corn in everything? And if you follow the money, it's heavily subsidized. Yeah. So we are finding crazy ways to turn corn into stuff that is just shouldn't probably be something that we use <laughs> corn for. Like, why is it most of our soft drinks? Like, who would have thought, like, oh, you know that corn growing out there? That looks delicious. We should put that in our soda. <laughs> I don't know who came up with that idea, but, <laughs> but I know why they're using it now. You know, if I want to make a profit, I need to sell more product. And we know that sugar is the most addictive substance on the planet. Yeah. And we get a ton of it through corn. It is the most addictive. Like, yeah. More so than in some cases, they have studies proving it's more addictive than cocaine, for instance. Really? It lights up the same regions of the brain the same way. And uh, has similar effects hormonally and in the blood that heroin or something else like that would use. So if I want to sell more product, I'm going to put more of what people are addicted to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, we are designed to be addicted. Could you imagine if they put like big labels like they have to on cigarettes about the health health (laughs) dangers of like, you got their Snickers and it's like a picture of a fatty liver. Have you ever traveled overseas and when you, on all the cigarettes and stuff, they show like disgusting lungs and they put the pictures on there? I'm for. I think that'd be a great idea. <laughs> they, um, I don't think it works. People still buy them. They're like, I'll take the one with the the gross looking lung on it. That's my brand. Yeah, um, there's a doctor that had recommended that uh, sugar and candy and all that should be kept behind the counter, like uh, some of the prescription meds and things. Yeah, but, it's uh, weird that we do a better job like protecting condoms <laughs> than uh, <laughs> which is <laughs> than we do or razor blades. You know, they're like they got a lock and key on those jokers. Yeah. <laughs> What if you let your kids in the grocery store? Go nuts, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, back to that first misconception of, of vegetable oil. Yeah. Is vegetable oil made primarily of corn? Is that? No, there's all different types. Yeah. It, it can come from different things. Sunflower oil. Do you uh, know the process oil. of turning a vegetable into an oil? Now, typically it's it's a combination of heat treatment, mechanical treatment, uh, sometimes it's filtered through tubes and pressures, sometimes chemically treated, like hexane can be added as a filter, which is actually a component of diesel fuel. <laughs> but the more, nice. yeah, that's good for you. <laughs> but the more you process these things, it, what it does is it changes the molecular, the molecular structure. You know, as a vegetable, it's fine. 
but as a super like canola oil is processed in 12 different steps and is yeah. up to 5% hydrogenated, which is trans fat. And, uh, but that's some of the problems. So, so is, a, is a similar comparison, like changing the molecular structure, like it goes through some kind of process. Like, like I would think of like juice, for example, but if it goes through the process of fermentation, now it's alcohol. Like, is it that kind of, like it completely changes like a different thing now? Is that what you're saying? Uh, maybe not the same as fermentation, but certainly molecularly and, and the havoc it has on the mm-hmm. tissues and systems in the body. Is it super like concentrated? So it's just like way more corn than we're supposed to eat. Is that kind of part <laughs> of the problem? Uh, maybe from a fructose standpoint, certainly corn syrup or even high fructose corn syrup uh, yeah. or even agave is actually more fructose than, than even high fructose corn syrup. So mm. there, there's all kinds of different. Uh, See, you hear all kinds there. of conflicting things. Like people are always saying like, oh, don't do that. Do agave. It's yeah. just hard to know what one to use and, and what and, one not to use. And I feel just, like there's 400 kinds of oil, man. How am I supposed to keep it straight? <laughs> you would stick to olive oil, avocado oil, and coconut oil are your most accessible. But Dr. Catherine Shanahan has a cheat sheet. If you just type in Dr. Kate Fat Blog, she's got an incredible chart I recommend to all my clients. And it has green yellow and red coating. So, you know, these are the oils to never use. These are the oils to sometimes use. Mm-hmm. And these are the oils to always use. That's a great resource for that. And you keep saying that the, the red ones, the problem ones have a, they've been over oxidized. Is that the phrase you've been using? They can be if they're heated. So when you heat something, it oxidizes it more. So what I was saying earlier in a conversation off air here was, was that when you use these at a restaurant, you know, instead of just being heated once and discarded, they may reuse that oil for up to four weeks. Yeah. And the more you heat it, the more oxidized it becomes, which means the more damaging it is on our tissues. So with vegetable oil, one of the things it does, especially as it becomes more oxidized, is it restricts the ability for blood vessels to dilate. So they lose their flexibility. So that raises blood pressure. For guys, they may experience ED and think it's a testosterone issue where it could very well be a a vegetable oil issue. It also has other complications on health, but those are some of the main things to worry about. And I'm sure restaurants probably like think that's a good thing. Like it's just starting to taste good. We've cooked all this stuff in there. I worked for three <laughs> weeks at Burger King in, in high school before I had to quit because I just felt like I was constantly covered in lard. But they never changed those vats, man. They were just they didn't even turn them off because then they got hard and congealed. So they just kind of kept them on a low simmer. Yeah. Yeah, and the more you heat it, the more oxygen, even the healthy oils, if you continue to cook at high temperatures, the the healthy oils, then they become oxidized and harmful as well. So, mm. but particularly vegetable oils, which have already been processed quite a bit. Yeah, but there's good properties of oil, right? Like the healthy oils you were oh, talking yeah. about. Yeah, monounsaturated fats, polyunsaturated fats. You know, I think they help with brain structures, how we think. Omega-3 fats, especially like from fish oil, mm-hmm. um, are great. Some of the oils from nuts and seeds uh, have numerous health properties. And then when you think about brain function, the brain's 60% fat, but we want it to be made of the correct fats because the body will use what you give it. If yeah. it's the wrong type, it'll still try and build a, a structure with it. Yeah. That's going to hamper your, what your kind cognitive of, development. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but what kind of compensations does the body make for consuming the wrong kinds of fat? Like I know that one of the principles of, of the human body is homeostasis. It's going to find a way to survive in its environment. And if you're constantly feeding it junk, it's going to have to kind of do a little bit of robbing from Peter to pay Paul kind of things to adjust. Yeah. Well, if, well, from just a nutrient standpoint, not specifically just fats, it'll start shutting down other functions like DNA repair, for instance. If it's lacking something, it'll go, well, uh, right now we just need to survive. So, so we're going to, you can kick into survival mode. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, it could break apart other enzymes and things to try and create what it needs, and then that can create other deficiencies. I heard an analogy about brain cells and, and different tissues uh, of the brain that let's say you want to build a wall whose job is to keep liquid out. You would build it out of brick or stone or something like that. But if you keep giving it sponges, well, that's the only building material it has. It'll still build the wall, but it's going to be permeable. So certain cells are supposed to allow some things in and keep other things out. Uh, if it has the wrong building material, it'll still build the structure, but it's not yeah. going to do its job properly. So we'll put a link in the show notes to the article that you're referencing with the red, yellow, and green acid so that you can print that out, stick it in the back of your phone case next time you go to the store. Yeah, that's a, that's, I still refer to it sometimes. Yeah, I'll, You know, a client will be like, hey, is this oil okay? And I haven't seen that on a label in six months and forgot. I'll pull out that list. Yeah. That's a good tip. Another misconception is that consuming uh, too much sugar in all forms. Now, the misconception here is, I think we all know that's bad, but walk me through like why it's bad. Well, anytime you have something that can be converted to to glucose, you know, you're going to get a a spike in blood sugar. And when we get a spike, we're going to get a corresponding crash. And when it crashes, now we're hungry and we're going to binge on something we're not supposed to, which will spike, and then we have this up and down. Now, hormonally, that's not just insulin and blood sugar leading to type 2 diabetes, but there's other hormones like stress hormone like cortisol, and we could start breaking down muscle tissue, and that's going to help us accumulate more fat in ways we don't want to. It can also create adrenal fatigue, thyroid issues, and on and on from that constant up and down. Or it could be chronically elevated, and that's a problem too. What are some, you mentioned earlier, just cutting out soda and the big difference that it made. Like, what are some of the big offenders when it comes to just like over-sugared products that people should be on the lookout for? Like, this would be a great way to boost your health if you could just cut this thing Oh my thing gosh, out. fruit juices. Fruit juices. What kills See, juice me. is healthy, right? Well, It's no. juice, man. It's no, made from really. an apple. <laughs> <laughs> what kills me is where you'll see like juicy juice. It'll say 100% real juice, no sugar added. That's because it's all sugar. <laughs> It's literally the But isn't there a difference between sugar that comes from fruit and like sugar that's been processed and turned into powdered sugar? Yeah, I mean, there's a hierarchy of worse, but you know, if you look at grams of sugar, uh, you can take the grams, divide by four, and that's the equivalent of a teaspoon of sugar. So if something has, you know, 18 grams of sugar, that's like six teaspoons. Think about drinking that and, you know, and that's nowhere near like what, like I don't know off the top of my head, but it's more than that for like a 20 ounce of. Mountain Dew, right? Oh, my God. That's like 64 grams. A naked juice, which I used to drink those in college. It's like, oh, wow, it's got kale and Yeah, it's got naked. It's supposed to be healthy. Yeah. And meanwhile, it's the equivalent (laughs) of dumping like 12 teaspoons of sugar down the hatch all at once. It's very interesting to think about like that visual because nobody would in their right mind would make a decision to just eat 12 tablespoons of sugar. I mean, maybe (laughs) once on a dare. But you probably vomit. It's not enjoyable for one thing, just <laughs> eating powdered sugar. But there's so much of it inside of a can of soda. And if maybe if we maybe that's the thing that if you could figure out how to get the soda companies to do that, make people mix it themselves <laughs> so they can see. It's like a build your own soda yeah. can. Because what would what would 16 tablespoons look like in a 20 ounce can of soda? Would it be a quarter of it, a third of it? <laughs> probably just solid third, sugar. Yeah. Pretty pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. I remember when I was young, we used to make Kool-Aid from Kool-Aid packets. You remember those? Yeah. 
Oh, and yeah. uh, we had this Kool-Aid packet that my mom would get every once in a while that was root beer flavored. And I figured out that if I added enough sugar, it would be so like toxic. It would almost just taste like soda. Like it would almost be carbonated. <laughs> and I would just over sugar <laughs> that thing like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to the healthier side of sugars, like what are the good kind of sugars to look for? What's the healthy stuff to consume? Yeah, I mean, if you're choosing fruits, you know, berries are going to be your best option. They're super, super low in sugar and fructose, and they're high in fiber and antioxidants. Uh, so berries, I, you know, anytime you want, probably okay, unless yeah. you're like really chugging down mass quantities. Um, and then your higher sugar fruits like apples and bananas, keep those for post-workout. Your body will use that sugar for glycogen replenishment of the muscle instead of storing it as fat. So timing can make a difference. But going back to your initial question... So berries one, actually dark chocolate is technically, cocoa beans are technically a fruit. Yeah. That's something I do recommend people have every day if they can control it. Yeah. Where's um, a good place to buy dark chocolate around here? Trader um, Joe's? Yeah, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, Harris Teeter. I mean, anyway. And you're looking for the the one that has like, what percentage of caca? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 85% and higher is what's recommended. I gotta be honest. I typically go for 70. Uh, yeah. You're still getting a good amount of benefit. I've tried like the 95 one before and I'm like, that's not chocolate, man. That's chalk. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that's, that's something else. <laughs> that's pretty tough. <laughs> uh, even Aldi has some, some decent options. You save a bunch of money. I don't care where it's from. Uh, I, I do want you to look at the label, make sure there's not a ton of corn syrup or something or any corn syrup. Uh, if it's a little bit of cane sugar, that's fine in moderation. And then also if it's fair trade, I like just the ethical side. Oh yeah. I try and look for fair trade chocolate. It's a good, yeah. I think a lot of people have a sweet tooth after dinner or something and it's good to have something to go to, you know? Yeah. If you don't, I was reading a book, uh, you recommended it, Darren Hardy. He was talking about eating and now he has a sweet tooth after dinner and he would like do like an ice cream binge and he'd be like, well, I need a snack. And so he'd eat like a giant bowl of ice cream and then he just put in a discipline in place and he's like, now I just do two Hershey kisses. I know I'm going to get the sweet tooth, but I've got it in moderation and I've got it. So you could just switch that out with some dark chocolate if that's you. There you go. Yeah. Every day, dark chocolate every day. I recommend that. Honestly. Like medicine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Can you pay with it with your HSA? Absolutely not, but that would have been great. <laughs> All right, another misconception here is not taking care of your microbiome health. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what microbiome health is. <laughs> it's it's kind of newer in terms of popular science, but uh, but it's getting more and more notoriety because we're understanding almost all of our health illnesses, including even autism, has a lot to do with the types and amounts of bacteria that make up our gut. So... Hmm. You know, everybody's sort of probiotics. They're familiar yeah. with that. And so that's, that would be an example. But what happens is we have good types of bacteria and bad types. And there's always a mixture. When the bad type overgrows the good type, we have a, a condition called dysbiosis. And this can largely contribute to anxiety and depression because it destroys serotonin production. 90% of serotonin is produced in the gut. Um, it can lead to IBS. Serotonin, that's the chemical that releases that makes you feel... Happy. Happy. Good. Yeah, you want that one. Yeah, you want that one. <laughs> so the healthier that balance is between the bacteria, the better. Um, so your gut has something to do with the amount of happiness that you feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we have the sugar-loving and candida types of bacteria, they start to crowd out all the other ones we get from vegetables and fibers and things like that. Yeah. And that's, You mentioned that a couple of times, like the type of person that you are, the type of gut that you have. How do you know? Well, there is fancy pants stool testing you can get. 
Um, <laughs> got like the fancy pants stool testing kit. Well, probably not. Probably not through Walgreens, but like a homeopath, naturopath, or some doctor's offices. And what would you learn from taking a test like that? It would tell you what to eat, what not to eat. Potentially, it could. It could say, you know, here's currently what the species are looking like. We know that given the conditions and the types of symptoms you have, we want to stop eating these types of foods and eating more of these so we can have a shift. Mm-hmm. But without going through all that trouble, you know, switching to uh, super, super diverse amounts of vegetables, not just the quantity of vegetables, but the diversity. I mean, it will help us to, to repopulate the right types because the indigestible fibers from plants feed healthy gut bacteria. And that can start to crowd out the more sugar-loving ones. The indigestible fibers from plants. Right. The parts that our body can't completely absorb. Does that mean we like to be eating the cores? And Well, eat- I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> do that. Um, but, you know, most plants like... Because yeah, I love so to you- just suck on an avocado pit like it's a jawbreaker. <laughs> sure you do. That doesn't surprise me. So... <laughs> it's mm, going to be good for my gut. Absolutely. But... Um, but no, so that, that would be the, the simplest thing to do, adding fermented foods, you know, high-quality probiotics. Yeah, fermented foods are like all the the rage right now, and I've loved pickles my whole life, but now you can pickle almost anything, and they're like pushing it out. Like, I've been to Core Life a couple of times, because yep. you got on me about eating out so much, and so I've been being good, <laughs> and when I do eat out, I've been going over to Core Life, which I don't know if you have one in your area, wherever you listen to this, it's called Core Life Eatery. And, I think um, they'll give us an endorsement deal. I don't know, maybe. But <laughs> if you're listening, I've had, I've had three or four of their dishes now, and I love whatever pickled, whatever nonsense they put on there. It just makes it delicious. <laughs> and it, it's weird stuff that they pickle. It's not pickles. It's, it's uh, like the sriracha pickled sprouts. It's right. the, the little broccoli salad. Yeah, they have a great taste to them. And so what about fermentation is in that process? What does that add to the, to the health benefits of the food? Well, for example, if we were going to ferment something to make Greek yogurt, it's actually eating the lactose in that fermentation process. And lactose is something that's usually an irritant to people. But fermenting foods changes the molecular structures and some of the ingredients and things. So it has a different effect on the body. Yeah. yeah. They had a fermented cabbage in yep. the uh, Korean barbecue dish Kimchi. that I had, which was awesome. And I've heard, though, from people that like make it, it's like, there's like a real way to make kimchi. So they would be like, that'd be like going to like Taco Bell and being like, I love this authentic Mexican food. <laughs> you know? So I haven't yeah. had the real thing. Yeah. I think it involves burying it in the ground for so many days. Like, yeah, there's like a, there's a yeah. famous, there's like a jar, like there's a process. that's like, yeah. I watched the documentary that had it in there and the woman was showing somebody how to make kimchi. And it was like, about the way that you rub stuff on to the cabbage and the feelings that you should have when you're doing it. It's like a whole, oh, wow. Yeah. It's like a whole spark joy kind of thing. Like, I don't know if you ever saw that. Yeah, that's, that, wow. That's a little far for me. Yeah. But, you uh, gotta, you gotta talk to the vegetables lovingly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it couldn't hurt. That's for sure. <laughs> so is there any kind of like overarching principle? Cause if that kind of went over some people's heads, like I was trying hard to pay yeah. attention, but as far as like taking care of your gut, like what are some of the overarching things? Do this, don't do that. Eat as many vegetables as you can. Mm-hmm. If you're going to eat any kind of grain product, make sure you pressure cook it because that'll break down some of the issues. Yeah, you talked to me about that before. You asked me if my if we had a pressure cooker, and we do. We got that one-hour Instapot thing that That's was all, all the rage. You can cook things in 10 minutes. Yeah, Forget it's it. really hard to figure out for me. I'm a simple man. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> I just feel like I'm just pawing at it. Like, will you give me food? Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> 
but that'll help with some of that lectin protein, but more on the microbiome standpoint, just as many different types of vegetables as you yeah. can. And the more sugar loving foods you cut out, the better that dysbiosis condition becomes and yeah. you start regaining. And then also having the other reason for variety, for instance, is we need 16 different types of starches. I think the average American gets just a couple, like we'll mm. have beans, but all different types of vegetables have different types of fibers and nutrients that help to repopulate that, yeah. that species. So what is it about cooking things in a pressure cooker that, that makes it healthier than just like, let's say I wanted to have bean soup. What, what about cooking that bean soup in a pressure cooker versus just throwing it on the pot and coming back in eight hours? The pressure cooking process actually reshapes the molecular structure. So the types of molecules that damage the gut and cause leaky gut break through that immune barrier after the pressure cooking process can no longer do that. And that's the same with rice? Same with rice, rice and beans and lentils. But you so, can't fix corn and you can't fix oats. Like if So the rice that you get in sushi... Yeah. Has been in a pressure cooker, so that's better? If they cooked it in a pressure cooker, I don't know if some places use steamers or if some use, but if they pressure cooked it, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Another misconception here is, and I think this is one of those ones that's common sense, but tougher to be common practice, which is avoiding stress and sleeping well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's something I think that's overlooked by a lot of people. I don't think that there's a concrete understanding that there is a physiological and a hormonal change that goes in our body when we undergo various types of stress. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a major life crisis. It could be, for instance, just poor sleep quality chronically. That can build up different yeah. hormonal problems. Uh, it could be... Is it about avoiding stress or is it about managing stress? Is it about building in time... To not be stressed? Because, I mean, man, stress lives in this world. Yeah, no, you, you can't avoid stress. <laughs> you can't get away from it. Uh, yeah. But I think it is. People out there divorce, divorcing their spouses. Like, I'm sorry, man. It's for my health. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's stressful. No, no, no. You can't ever get away from it. It's, it's building in mechanisms to, to better cope with it without having such a, a hit to your health. Yeah. Uh, so that could be stretching, yoga, deep breathing. It could be light exposure, mm. uh, especially at night. You know, really. I've never really heard it said that way before, but every once in a while, I work from home, pretty sedentary on a day where I get to a lot of work time and I crave going outside. I think that's why I like walking my dog. It's just, I don't know. It's not my house is stuffy. I got a great house. It's, it's fantastic. But there's something about being outside and I'm not a big nature fan. But it just feel better when I go do a half an hour, 45 minute, two, two mile walk. I just like, I get more energy than if, like, I feel like I get that time back, you know? Like, I'm trying to work all day, so I'm trying to put in like eight, 10 hours. And I get more effectiveness if I do that than I don't. And maybe that has something to do with sunlight. Oh, absolutely. We run off of what's called a circadian rhythm clock, and it has to do with light cycles. In fact, I was just listening to an interesting Ben Greenfield podcast and, um, you know, a lot of health conditions could have to do with this lack of exposure to sunlight we now have, which actually screws up our, our um, mitochondria, which is basically our body's engine. So even if you fix the diet, if you don't fix the engine, it's still not going to run properly. Yeah. So I do think we, we have to look more than just a diet or just the exercise, but it needs to be a holistic approach that also is including light cycles because that drives our hormones. It's funny, all the things you've been giving advice for sound, and I mean this really good, like things your grandparents would tell to grandkids, go outside and play. 
eat your vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat so much candy. You know, uh, they're very common sense, but they're tough. I think one of the things that I struggle with is it feels like there's so many choices that need to be made. It's almost like, uh, like that old adage of eating the elephant. Like, where do you start? Yep, one bite at a time. One uh, bite at a time. So any client I start with, we'll go over an overall plan with the understanding you're not going to implement all this at one time because right. I promise after two weeks you're going to give up and you're going to go back to what you're doing. Uh, so the best way to make positive long-term change yeah. is to change one habit at a time, establish it as a habit. Once you're comfortable with it, then you stack the next thing. So you're not going to eat everything fermented, stop eating vegetable oil, stop eating soda, go for walks all the time, all in the same week. Maybe you start with, all right, yeah, let's you, cut you out. told me not to, but I kind of tried. And uh, <laughs> it was a real crappy weekend as my body was detoxing because I stopped the fried food and I stopped coffee. And I'll be honest with you because you said we were doing the intake and I was describing some of my issues. And one is I've been to the doctor and he said I have hereditary high blood pressure. And you explained to me the process of what happens when you consume as much caffeine as I've been doing. Because you're like, how much coffee do you drink? I'm like, I don't know, 10, 12 cups a day <laughs> for the last life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and when you explained it, you were talking about the science behind how it was actually maybe probably one of the large contributing factors to the symptoms that I was feeling with the, the high blood pressure. Yeah. And so that motivated me enough to be like, you know what, screw it. I thought it was more like I like having a hot cup in my hand. So you were like, do green tea, it's 15 milligrams versus 150 or whatever it is for coffee. So I'm doing like two cups of green tea in the morning when I sit and do my morning routine. And I honestly don't miss it, but I probably would have, unless somebody explained to me what it was doing to my body, dismissed it completely and been like, screw you, I love coffee. <laughs> and to be clear, I love coffee too. And I advocate some coffee. But caffeine is a vasoconstrictor, which means it, it makes your blood vessels smaller, which increases your internal blood pressure. Yeah. So if you, and it has an eight hour half-life, which means if you drink a cup of coffee at six in the morning, eight hours later at 2 p.m., half of those milligrams of caffeine are still floating in your system. So if you're drinking all throughout the day, you have this compounding, almost like damming of caffeine blocking adenosine receptors keeping your blood vessels constricted, raising blood pressure all day long. Yeah. So that could be a part of what was what felt like the afternoon crash that I would experience. Yeah. I was just stacking it up. <laughs> and then when it finally wore off, you have this rush of adenosine that finds their receptors again and tells your, your body to be tired. Yeah. Because that's what caffeine does. It blocks adenosine receptors. Adenosine is what tells you you're tired. Go to bed. Yeah. And I've had a lot easier time falling asleep, honestly. And it's only been like, let's not pretend like it's been a long time. It's been like, I don't know, 10 days off yeah. of coffee. And so it's probably, it's, but I have had a lot better time falling asleep. Normally I just, I get this mode where like, I'll just wake up again at 10, like a, like second day. It's like, oh, I'm awake now, but I'd be super tired up until like nine. And then 10 o'clock rolls around. I lay down and the body's like, oh, let's do some stuff. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Already seeing some change. God bless you for cutting that much of coffee all at once. I mean, I, I struggle with cutting out two cups. You know? <laughs> Every quarter I try and, and kind of do a liver detox and, and go yeah. back through that elimination diet process. Well, I think I think that might be one reason why you should probably consider working with a personal trainer. Because to have it explained to me in a way that made sense, like I knew 
at a core level that drinking 10 to 12 cups of coffee a day was not a smart move long term. No. Uh, you know, just like you probably shouldn't because it's got, it's when anything's measured in milligrams, you feel like you shouldn't be binging on it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I kind of had the sneaking suspicion that it wasn't great. Um, but I didn't know that it was so connected to what I feel is like my main health concern, which is part of the reason why I want to work out. I don't want to get high blood pressure and have a heart attack and miss my kids growing up and miss grandkids and, and all that kind of stuff. And so having it explained to me in a way that really made sense and made sense with my uh, symptoms that I was feeling, I think made it a lot easier to be like, yeah, I can just switch to green tea. That's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's what motivated me to do so much in-depth research because a lot of the research wasn't necessary for my job. But I realized if I could educate people the why and at a deep level that affects their health, then maybe they're more likely to make the changes. Well, it comes up and it's been coming up on the show just with the first two guests, and I'm sure it'll be a theme. Almost everybody is probably going to say to a point, like, you got to start with why. Yeah. The why is so important. And I think that's it's a very effective technique for sure. Yeah. Talk to me about, like, why does meditation work? I grew up Midwestern. And obviously in the Midwest, uh, well, I don't know about obviously, but in the places where I grew up, I grew up in Michigan. My my dad worked in a factory and my uncles all worked in the car factory and my grandpa painted cars. And it was like, like yoga or meditation <laughs> like, was ooh. not, was not something that we were concerned with, or I guess not concerned with. It just wasn't around. Yeah. It was like when I grew up, there wasn't a sushi restaurant. Like, never tried sushi until I moved out of the state. Like, it just wasn't there. It wasn't an option. Yeah. It just wasn't a thing. And yeah. so, obviously, didn't have any understanding of it. Then I went to Bible college and got my degree so that I could be a pastor. And then, you know, all the weird kind of fear that some Christians have around meditation because it's Far East. And what does it mean? And chakras and craziness. And then, <laughs> and then I recently did a thing where, I think it was a couple of years ago, maybe, I just did a deep dive and read, like, 10, 15, 20 books on meditation to try and get it and, and really help me understand. Like it's really about trying to focus on one thing, yeah. controlling your breathing. And it's really not hocus pocus. Like I thought it would be from my personal experience from what I understood meditation to be. Yeah. But what is the health benefits of sitting still and breathing? Yeah. And I'm going to back up just a second. So I'm a very practical guy. I had a similar experience My when I was a music education major. My professor, Dr. Britton Toyer, absolutely brilliant man. I took him for granted, but I thought he was a quack back then. Yeah. But he was trying, I had a lot of stress at the time and I was all over the map. You know, my right. health was bad. I couldn't control my temper. And he would try and get me to meditate during our applied lessons for trumpet. And I was like, no, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to meditate. He's like, all right, well, I'm just <laughs> going to play an A on the piano. And I want you to focus on that sound. I was like, all right, I'll do that. And um, so, I'll never meditate, though. I mean, while you're like <laughs> meditating, but, which so is so I, weird that Christians have that hang up because the yeah. Bible says all over the place that we should meditate. Right. And there's many different types of meditation. And again, I'm very practical and very science driven. So from a very practical science driven standpoint, what meditation does, if you're focused on your breathing, you start to oxygenate your blood better. And all of us have forward rounded shoulders because we sit and text. And when you're angry, you stop breathing as much, which releases norepinephrine, adrenaline, all kinds of different hormones that tax your adrenal glands that cause the breakdown of muscle tissue that can cause carbohydrate cravings and all these other things. So forcing yourself to slow down, take some deep breaths, oxygenates the blood and stops that signal. 
So your body stops going, I need more oxygen, I need more oxygen, and that norepinephrine, the adrenaline, and all the other things I just described are shut off. So it helps with stress, it helps with blood sugar, it helps with cortisol, it helps you generally feel better, it helps your brain function better as well. Uh, so even if you're not into the spiritual, sh- I don't know what my chakra is. I still don't. I love <laughs> yoga. Absolutely love it. But I have no idea what my chakra is. I think is. she's she's got a lot of songs on the radio. I've heard of her. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but anyway, from a physiological standpoint, anybody could benefit from it. I don't care if it's prayer, if it's scripture, if it's Gregorian chant, if it's you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care what it is. But if you can slow down, take some deep breaths, physiologically, you're going to benefit from it. Yeah. I wonder if you've seen this TED Talk that I just watched like two days ago because it was fascinating because you were talking to me about health stuff and I saw it scroll across the YouTube feed and I'm like, I'm interested. But it was a, it's by a guy named Ruben Muirman and it's The Mathematics of Weight Loss. Have you ever seen that one? I started watching it. I yeah. wanted to finish it, but I was in the middle of a certification and I, I just didn't have time. So anyways, the premise is, I have no idea about the science behind it, but he seemed like he knew what he was doing. He did the soda thing where he poured like a bunch of sugar in there and like, look at this, this is what you're drinking. And you're like, oh dear. But he posed the question, where does weight go when you lose it? Yeah. From a scientific standpoint, where does it go? Yeah. And he did this experiment where he was demonstrating that carbon dioxide, the air that we breathe out, has mass. And so he did an experiment by breathing into a balloon. And so that's mostly carbon dioxide. And he said the ratio of what it was. And then he hit it with liquid nitrogen. And then it turned solid. And so you could see the mass of the carbon dioxide. And he went on to say that it's not about energy can't be created or destroyed. And a lot of people think that it's calorie in, calorie out. And so therefore you burn it. And so it's, it goes away. But he was saying most of the weight that we lose, we breathe out, which I find so fascinating. Yeah. Like that's how, and he's like, but don't get it twisted. You can't just breathe and pretend like that's <laughs> going to lose weight. He said, it's, it's the process that you go through when you work out, when you, when you elevate, that's the kind of breathing that, that gets this weight to come off. Yeah. There's other things at play like energy systems and where, you know, where the, energy is coming from is it coming from breaking down fat for energy from carbohydrate from protein and there's a lot that goes into it it's it's not as but but that's very interesting and there is a component of the breath to weight loss for sure yeah what do you think about it when you work out you get you breathe heavy and that's like an indicator that you're you're at least on the right path to weight loss (laughs) yeah one more thing another misconception because it seems like the whole nation got super excited about eating whole grains and uh, like whole grains were the savior. And I remember my wife and I went through a phase, and I know so little about this, but, you know, you watch the documentaries and they're like, Wonder Bread is bad. Like the white bread loaf, you shouldn't do it. It's all processed bad stuff. And they're like, you should do the whole grain version. So you buy the whole grain version, it looks the exact same. The Joker looks the exact same when you buy like the whole grain <laughs> version. But the label says whole grain and we're like, we're being healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions we have is that whole grains are are a healthy choice. We mentioned that lectin protein. Wheat grain and corn, including whole grains, have a a high quantity of that. In some cases, whole grains can spike blood sugar more than table sugar. So I think some people do better with it if their immune system is intact, they don't have any issues, they're happy with their life, whatever. Keep eating your whole grains. But If you're struggling with weight loss, diabetes, insulin resistance, you have changes hormonally that need to happen and they're not happening, it is worth your while to at least for a short period eliminate wheat, grain, and corn and monitor your health and see if you don't see some improvements. See, I would think that, like, 
cultural common perception would be like, if you're going to go nuts and binge on something, just eat some whole grains. They're good for you. Eat a giant <laughs> bowl of oatmeal, all the grains you can jam in there. But you're saying it's almost more like something that should be done in moderation. Yeah, or, or in some cases, not at all. Let's face it. Who really loves whole grains? Like nobody's <laughs> I mean, bread's delicious. <laughs> yeah, bread, but, fantastic. Um, yep, you're right. Yeah. Warm bread. Mm-hmm. I do like warm bread. But, but the um, whole people that are like, I got to have my hard granola. Is hard granola bad for you? Oh, yeah. It's usually 60% vegetable oil, first of all. <laughs> That's what's holding the granola chunks together? Yeah. So yeah. everything in the health section. <laughs> Not necessarily everything. Now, people are starting to catch on. There's many brands out there that are coming out with grain-free options mm-hmm. uh, for crackers. Like Simple Mills is an incredible company. Siete is an incredible company. They made corn and grain and vegetable oil-free tortilla chips. And they have uh, tortillas, too. Uh, there's cauliflower crust pizza. I mean, people are starting to figure it out. It is catching on. Yeah. I don't. I don't know that it'll ever be mainstream. Yeah, um, I've had cauliflower crust pizza. It's it's not bad. It's not like terrible. It. It, let's face it, it's not pizza, but um, <laughs> not the same. It doesn't hold together the same. <laughs> you're not gonna but, fold uh, it up like a New York slice. It's kind of yeah. So you know, if you're happy with your life, you feel like you know all your blood markers come back. You have great energy, and you like the way you look, and you have kind of fine. Keep eating your whole grains. Uh, yeah. I'm not gonna give you a hard time. But if you have any of those issues I described, it's definitely worth your while to at least experiment yeah. with it. I think part of the problem that we have as Americans is that. We don't have a reason other than being sick to do blood work to find out where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what our, that's what Western medicine is set up is once there's a problem, you know, then we can deal with this acute issue. What we're not great at is preventative and holistic types of things. So, you know, even if somebody has a heart attack, they go, well, what do I do now? They go, I don't know. We'll monitor you and maybe you'll get another stent if things get worse. Like they Take aspirin. Right. And that's as far as it goes. So that's where I think also having a naturopath or a homeopath in your corner, high quality trainer, high quality nutrition coach or dietitian yeah. could really make a big difference. You keep using the word lectins and I'm just trying to keep up. And in they're, they're part of the thing that you want to get rid of when you use the pressure cooker. They're in whole grains and, and bread and, and carbs. What does the lectin do to your body that messes people up? It's a, it pretends to be insulin, and it'll attach to a cell. So now, it pretends to be sugar. No, no, it pretends to be the hormone insulin, which okay. helps to regulate glucose in and out of the cell. Okay. And So you eat lectin, and it's basically telling your body... It's, put, it put on, it's like in Star Wars when they dress up like the troopers to get onto the ship. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's what they do. They dress up like insulin. That's what I need. I need more Star Wars analogies. There you are. There you are. So, <laughs> so they sneak on and they go, yeah, yeah, I'm, I work for the Federation or whatever. And what insulin does is once a cell is full of glucose, it shuts off access. What the lectin protein does is it lets glucose in, but then allows it to spill out into the bloodstream. And the body can't leave it in the bloodstream. It has to store it as fat somewhere, which is either the liver which is why one in two Americans now have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or as fat as adipose tissue. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's one of them. Now, it does something else, too. One in two Americans, fatty 50%. liver disease. Yeah, this, and this was a very low percentage just 50 years ago. Now, the other thing it does is it travels from the gut up the vagus nerve all the way to the brain. It's a neurological disruptor of brain cells as well. So it contributes to Alzheimer's, dementia, and cognitive decline as well. It's nasty stuff. Yeah. 
And some people have a more intact immune system that can deal with this protein better than others. Yeah, you mentioned some of the healthy alternatives for crackers. Some people just love their bread, man. Like, is there any good bread? <laughs> They're uh, sourdough bread. Because sourdough, really? Remember we talked about- That food? happens to be my favorite kind of bread. Well, there you go. I used to love <laughs> that Frisco burger. So we talked about fermentation earlier and how that changes things. Well, yeah. sourdough bread goes through a fermentation process that makes it the healthiest choice hmm. or a healthier choice. It's not a health food. But right. if I'm going to make my once a quarter French toast, which I do make once a quarter, I will use sourdough bread. That's a lot of self-control, that French toast once a quarter. Yeah, dump <laughs> the syrup. I mean, I go all out, vanilla, cinnamon. But the other thing you could do is there are paleo recipes that replace regular wheat flour with almond flour and things like that. I'm yeah. lazy. That'll never happen for me. But There's no like the, brand in the store that does all that already? Uh, I see the Ezekiel bread trucks all the time. What's up with that? They're like sprouted grains, which when you sprout a grain, some of the lectin protein does diminish. So that might be an okay choice, but I'd still think the sourdough. You know, it sounds the, better. I'd rather eat sourdough bread than sprouted grain bread. I agree. So <laughs> the leading expert on this lectin protein is going to be Dr. Stephen Gundry, and his recommendation was sourdough. But if you want to check out any of Stephen Gundry's, I really need to get some payment for all these endorsements. <laughs> um, but no, he, he's in, got incredible information. He has two main books, Plant Paradox and Longevity Paradox, which is the new one. Yeah. But if somebody, one of the listeners wanted to deep dive, Dr. Gundry's an excellent source. Yeah. What do you think are some of the fad diets that are out there that are actually the most destructive long-term? Ooh, most destructive. Some of the cleanses and detoxes for sure. I'm going to go on a juice cleanse and just drink juice um, <laughs> and strain out all the prebiotic fibers that feed healthy gut bacteria and just drink the sugar part. So so that I hear a lot. There's like this lemon water, maple syrup, cayenne pepper thing um, that was real popular I think The Office made fun of that. Yeah, Kelly Kapoor did that. That's the first thing I thought, but I didn't want to be like, I always Um, reference The Office and I feel like it makes me seem like I watch too much TV. There's a lot of these multi-level marketing schemes. I'm not going to point anyone out. One of them just got a $150 million lawsuit. So if it's like all shake base and all bar base, that's a red sign, a red flag. There can be a shake component. That's fine. But, you know, I think everybody's trying to jump on the keto bandwagon. But if your gallbladder sucks, that's a terrible plan. If you don't have the types of bacteria that can break down that amount of fat, or if you want to go strictly paleo and you don't have the type of microbiome that can break down that quantity of protein, you're not going to do very well on that. Yeah. But those are the, you know, keto is probably the biggest one right now. Would you be in the camp that, that says like diet, you should think of the word diet, like is what you eat and not like a temporary thing. Absolutely. Is, is that kind of the goal for everybody? That's the goal. Is to enjoy the way you eat. Yep. Eat the right things. For your body. For your body. Right. And it's different for every individual on the planet. But you shouldn't be constantly just waiting for this diet to end so that you can go nuts. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's never going to It's never gonna happen. There's never going to be the perfect diet. It has to be specific to your body. Yeah. And you have to like it or it's not a diet. You know, it's not something you do consistently. Yeah. I read a book by uh, uh, Dr. Funk called The Obesity Code, and he had all this scientific data that basically broke down and said... That, Fad diets work for 18 months. Yep. And then people gain it back plus 12%. Yep. That's the that's the average. I thought that was crazy. Yeah. If you really want to look at something crazy, check out the Biggest Loser contestants one year later. Uh, some of them put everything back and then some as well because they're messing with all kinds of metabolism equations and things, and their body just goes into overdrive and starts pounding the fat back on. Hmm. So, so my, my approach is usually slower. So sometimes, you know, I have to, if, 
if I'm going to work with a new client, I explain, look, there's no shortcuts with me. This is a longer approach. Are you okay with that? Yeah. If they want shortcuts, I'm, I'm not your guy. Go work with someone else. I just want to make sure what we're doing is going to be sustainable, lifelong, and not in the long term going to be detrimental to your health. Yeah. Uh, that's the sustainable way. One to two pounds a week if you're looking for fat loss, making one to two changes a week and building those habits. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. That's a, that's a smart approach. There's no shortcuts, man. Nope. No shortcuts. Building the habits. Oh, man, I enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, you too. Thanks for letting me grill you with the questions. Hey, all those things we talked about are in a free ebook that Brandon has on his website. If you go to firewithinnf.com, you can sign up for the newsletter and get yourself a copy of that ebook. If you're like, oh, I just want to get a little bit more info on that. Yep, complete with pretty pictures and everything. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, uh, go check us out at firewithinnf.com. You can subscribe to our newsletters and make sure you never miss an episode or any other content. Also, be sure to follow us on social media.